HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, all about the works, uh, the big project of resettling this big country with the agriculture that will sustain us all. I am happy today to join to be joined on the show by Carrie Rinker. Um, welcome, Carrie. Um, Thanks for having the me. show. Hi. So Carrie is a lawyer who works in agriculture and comes from agriculture. Um, and I am so glad that you're doing that, Carrie, because um, as I'm sure you are well aware, um, agriculturally and transactionally focused lawyers are not so hard to find these days. Yeah, no, I, I knew that um, I was going to be a, a rare a rarity after leaving law school. There aren't very many attorneys um, that understand production agriculture and also, you know, have a, a law degree, so it is hard to come by. And um, do you guys have a little um, a group, or I'm sure you have often the situation that people come to you exasperated having searched and searched to find someone with um, who can who can really wrap their head around um, and know the best practices for their, um, for their situation. Um, can you describe a little bit of, of how people find you and then what are the kinds of areas that you focus? What are the kinds of cases that you're dealing with? Well, people find me in a myriad of ways, like um, you know, people find any businesses nowadays. I did grow up in production agriculture, so I've been in the community my entire life, but I didn't grow up in, in New York agriculture. I grew up in Illinois on a beef cattle farm um, there, so I do have lifelong contacts in the agriculture community, but you know, over the last few years, I've done a more networking in the uh, New York agriculture community. So some people have 
um, met me at a conference or I go to the New York State Fair. Um, I also have a food and agriculture law blog. So some people have seen, um, you know, follow me online with social media, whether it's my blog, Facebook, Twitter. I am a tweet. <laughs> and, um, you know, I also write articles that are published in food and agricultural organizations. So people find me in a whole myriad of ways. And and so the second part of that, I guess, was tell us a little bit about what are the um, the areas of law that you are dealing with more in the agricultural space? I can I can quickly reel off a couple things I can anticipate around leases and contract agreements and um, land disputes and um, I'm sure there are some divorcing farmers as well. What are some of the other areas that I um, that might not be quite as obvious? Yeah, I think that you you hit the nail on the head last. June, I actually did a survey um, and 75 farmers and agribusiness owners took the survey. There were also a few food entrepreneurs. It was basically a survey about the, the legal needs of that community. And not surprisingly, about 50% of the people that took that survey said that general business law was their Hello? primary need. And that is what I have also found in my own practice as well. And, you know, that being contracts, leases, intellectual property, things along those lines. And the number two need, and I've also found this um, in my own practice too, is actually farm and succession planning. You know, the average age of the American farmer is about 65 years old, and there is very little estate and succession planning work that's being done. I know that you have a younger farmer audience, and maybe they are taking over the family farm or... Um, and so maybe there's a need for succession planning on the other end of, of the spectrum as well. So um, I would say estate and succession planning would be kind of the number two need. And then after that, the whole myriad of issues, you know, whether it be insurance or pre- or post-judgment debt collection, um, farmers get divorced too, like everyone else. And, and so as you can imagine... Um, so there's a kind of a sprinkling of a lot of different miscellaneous issues that, that come into play next. One of which that I have seen um, increasingly are uh, employment and labor law issues. That's something that here in the last year or so I've received a lot of questions about. Well, and it's not something necessarily that people are... Um not necessarily something that we focus on too much in the mainstream is how does all this work get done and how many farmers are themselves working overtime and um, kids working on farms and people from um, legal and non-legal backgrounds working on farms, apprentices working on farms. Um, there's a lot. It's a big. It's a big kettle of fish that uh, I'm sure doesn't get enough daylight on it and. Um, if we were getting a fair price for our food, in all likelihood, we'd all be paying ourselves a lot more. But it's a challenge in that context to be to be above board for a lot of folks. So um, sounds like I'll keep you busy for a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I've, and I've, what are some of the strategies that you're employing as you're approaching this issue of farmland succession? 
what are some of the strategies you're employing or what are what how do people come to conceive of the kind of agreement that they're that they're working on? Like, you know, you're gonna codify things I'm sure in legal language, but mm-hmm. do people come to your office kind of having a sense of of how they want their farm family business to proceed and, and yeah. how they're gonna involve the next generation? I think the first question is is that is there someone in the family that even has an interest in taking over the family farm? And I think that we take this for granted a lot. And I, you know, for example, my own farm family, you know, my my parents have a beef cattle farm. We also grow some crops in central Illinois. My brother is there actually um, living very adjacent to my parents' property, and he helps my parents on the farm. But I am an example of a farm heir who has an off-farm job. I am a food and agricultural lawyer in New York City. I am far away from the farm's daily activities. And we are seeing this now more and more with um, family farms. Now, that isn't to say that if something would happen to my parents that I wouldn't move back home and manage that farm, but these are very real and honest conversations that families have to have. And... Um, with succession planning, their families don't really have a sense of urgency with that because everybody thinks they're going to live forever. And um, or if they're, you know, my parents are in their fifties, and if they're, if it doesn't feel in, imminent, then people don't really tend to um, deal with those um, those issues. So I think number one is. Does the family want the farm to succeed to the next generation? And is there somebody who's willing to take on that responsibility? Question two is, is how is that person going to be trained to take over the farm? Like I mentioned in my own farm family, my brother's there kind of helping my father with um, doing chores and things like that. But does my brother really know how to manage the farm? The answer is no, and I know that you won't get mad at me for saying that on on radio, but the answer is no. So there needs to be some conversations on how that transition of management needs to take place. And the third thing, this is the easier part, is the legal documentation, and that kind of comes into two different layers. One is business formation, you know, whether the farm should be set up in a limited liability company, a corporation. Um, the type of corporation, whether it's a, an S corp or a C corp, is it should it be a limited partnership, etc. Um, should the farm be set up in a trust? And sometimes, depending on the farm's goals, there could be multiple layers of these business entities. Like the real property could be owned by one business entity, the agricultural operation could be owned by another business entity, and perhaps a limited partnership or a family limited partnership would be the third layer over top. So I know this can sound a little confusing, but ultimately what the attorney does is looks at the individual farm family and discerns their goals for that individual farm. So there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to succession and estate planning. There is no one size fits all, <laughs> and and pro- and so a lot of us who are um, who are coming at this from the younger side, from the from the other end, from the inheriting or seeking end, and many of us coming not from farm families, have to do a lot of that work. Um, you know, 
out of necessity, before we can afford to involve a lawyer, we have to kind of hash it out ahead of time. I wonder if, if um, you could re- recommend um, some places we could go to learn and read, um, you know, at the public library or online um, to prepare ourselves for those kinds of conversations and to, and to, you know, bring up in discussion with those who are increasingly um, older couples and farmers who are whose heir, who have either no heirs or whose heirs are not going to farm and who are interested to pass the land forward into active farming and also pass forward their own knowledge um, along with it, not allow for that farm to be sold um, and then lose all the equipment and then reboot it again. Um, so wonder, I wonder if you could recommend some places where folks can do some of their own research. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a couple things I wanted to note. Number one, I think it's great that this is going to be broadcast you know, around the holiday season because I've blogged over the years about how I actually think the holidays is a great time to talk about succession and estate planning. Why? Because the family's together, right? I know it doesn't seem like a sexy thing to talk about after everybody breaks bread for Thanksgiving or the holidays in December, but, you know, it's a time when everybody is under the... In, under the same roof and happy, and I think that it's a it's a great opportunity. As far as resources go, um, I love the National Agriculture Law Center. Um, I believe the website is nalc.org, but it's basically funded by USDA dollars. And not only do they have some great information on estate and succession planning, but they also have some great information on um, you know, a whole slew of issues affecting family farms. And that website is actually nationalagaglawcenter.org. Um, I think that that's a great resource. And um, uh, something else I wanted to note is that there are mediators that can come into play. I always think that a farm family should try to hash this out on their own. But in a scenario where people are really at an impasse, and maybe um, that impasse could take place when there are farm and off-farm heirs that are you know, really butting heads on whether the farm should stay in production and who should manage it and how things should should succeed, um, a mediator could come into play and to help um, people um, through that through that dispute. I am a trained mediator on the New York State Agriculture Mediation Panel, and um, you know they could be contacted to see if they can help the farm move from that impasse in a, a succession um, planning discussion. Well, and even just using that mediator as a person to to have in the room to get the hatching out done really peacefully and productively seems like a very good use. In New York State, um, that's a free service. Uh, farmers are entitled to have free mediation service from the New York Ag Mediation Center. I'm not sure if they can have it from anybody. Uh, um, can they get it from anybody or only through the Ag Mediation Center? Well, every county in New York actually has a 
a community dispute resolution center. So I know you're broadcasting from um, Brooklyn, and uh, the community dispute resolution center in Brooklyn is through the New York Peace Institute. Um, this is actually where I was trained as a mediator, and they're located really close to the courthouses there in downtown Brooklyn. So every county in New York has its own community mediation center where they mediate disputes for free. I think it is so underutilized. And then on top of that, there is the national, I'm sorry, the New York Agricultural Mediation Program, which is funded through USDA dollars. They primarily mediate two types of disputes, one being USDA federal farm program disputes, and the second being um, like nuisance claims or the right to farm law. So that would be the two primary um, disputes that um, the knife sample would, would mediate for free. Um, but those mediators who are on that roster come in at the Community Dispute Resolution Center and help a family um, at no cost go through, you know, a, su- a succession in estate planning mediation. And I have actually heard um, recently, I was um, talking to somebody at Grow NYC, and they said, wow, we have under, um, you know, mediation has blown us away, we took this farm family from basically not talking to one another to everyone being on the same page as far as what's going to happen with this family farm. And that's something that's about mediation that's quite amazing to me is that people have to work through certain emotions. Maybe that farm family with the heirs and they're not farm heirs, you know, maybe the reason why there's so much resentment and they can't speak to one another is because the off-farm heirs went to law school or medical school and the parents paid for all this education and um, the on-farm heirs have a lot of resentment. And, and maybe you have to work through that resentment before you can really sit down and talk about what's going to happen to the farm. So, again, no one size fits all when it comes to succession and, and um, estate planning for farms, and you really have to work through the complexities of each family. Well, so I don't want to get too stuck on this issue, but it, it is very close to um, it is very close to the center of my own inquiry right now around land transfer and land access. And I've been having um, I've been having a lot of really interesting conversations. Uh, been asking questions at conferences and just speaking with people in their seventies, um, a lot of whom you know don't have heirs or have heirs that aren't farming. Um, and you mentioned, you know, that some sometimes there's a situation of a split where some of the some of the kids are farming and haven't had school fees and the other ones are off in the city. And what I under, have come to understand I wanted you to confirm is according to the law, there's nothing that says that it has to be fair who gets the the equity that is represented by or the money value that's represented by the land, that that's very much a decision that the family can make um, for themselves what's fair for the for the farm or what's fair under the eyes um, of the family um, as assets get allocated kind of um, during these transitional moments. Um, could you reflect a little on that? Yeah, um, absolutely. You, you um, said it right on. You're, you don't have to, under the law, be fair. 
You cannot disinherit a spouse under New York law, but you can disinherit a child, or you can give one child 100% of the the family farm and another child 0%. You don't have to be even. But I will say that farm families, mostly in part of just culture, but, you know, also just, uh, you know, values and things, is that it's very important to them to feel like they're being fair, equitable to all their children. And, you know, think about my own farm family again. My brother is there doing chores with my dad every week, and I'm here in New York City. I come home for Christmas and maybe a time in August, and I, you know, work in the barn a little bit. But by and large, my brother is there on a daily basis, but yet, you know, the both of us are probably going to inherit that farm 50-50. And I've even told my parents that I don't think that it's fair. My brother has, you know, has built more sweat equity. And it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing. And I say, I think by and large, the, the parents and the grandparents want to treat everybody equally. And what everybody in the family believes is fair and equitable are sometimes different things. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.